Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Okay, Footsteps on Messiah, we're looking at the Antichrist on page 212. We looked at his human origins. Now we get to look into his supernatural origin. One of the things that surprises most people, they're aware of how evil the Antichrist is, and most of them have this understanding that he is at least possessed by Satan. But what most people don't understand is that he is actually the seed of Satan. And they have not went this far in their theology to understand his supernatural origin. We've talked about it briefly, but now we're going to get right into the main hub of understanding his supernatural origins. Let's look at the first passage that comes to our mind. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15 in page 212. You can see there on the bottom of your page. And it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And we'll talk about that enmity. And between your seed, whose seed? Satan's seed. And her seed, the woman's seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The idea... We'll talk about this satanic enmity actually plays itself out in Genesis 6. And in Genesis 6, the, the, the satanic enmity between the woman and Satan, or females and Satan, is that the females are going to be, some female, somewhere on the planet Earth, some female is going to produce the Messiah. Okay? At this point, Satan doesn't know which female it is. Okay? So that that creates the enmity between a woman and a man, or sorry, a woman and Satan. Because what does the prophecy say? That her seed will what? Crush you. Now, the way Moses stated that is very unusual. Because all in Hebraic literature throughout the Bible you are recognized in your nationality by your dad because it is the male who has the seed or the sperma that is used for your nationality you are you are you're known in the bible in your genealogy by the male by your daddy not by your mama but in this case moses switches gears and says aha there's something unusual about the Messiah because I'm, he's coming from the seed, not of a male, but of a woman. So this is something unusual. It is hinting towards the virgin birth, which we'll get and you'll see that in Isaiah 7. But it is, is a, a, a hint or a foreshadow that something unusual about his birth. Okay. Therefore, Satan has then this prophecy in his mind, in the garden that was given to him. So guess what he's going to do? It establishes an enmity between him and women. So what does he do? He attacks women. Because he's trying to shut down the Messiah. And the biggest attack on the women came in Genesis chapter 6. And what happened there? The Nephilim. The sons of God, which is a, a term for angels, but in this case, fallen angels, came upon the daughters of men. 
And what was happening then was an attack on the genetic code. Satan is very sly. If a human being is to destroy me, I will ensure that there is no human beings on this planet because I will corrupt the seed. And the way he corrupted is he convinced I don't know how many demons to do a particular act, to cohabitate with women, have sexual relations with them, and produce hybrids, which we call in Hebrew the Nephilim, which are in Hebrew means the fallen ones. These were the men of renown, or the men of ancient legends that you heard. Every ancient culture has a demigod story of Clash of the Titans, or even the Aztecs have these, these creatures that are half human, half half animals. Even the Egyptians, um, these half creatures, these gods that had animal parts and superhuman, the Hercules and, and things like that. All... All of those ancient myths feed from a common source, which was true. And they feed from a common occurrence that is picked up in Genesis chapter 6 with the Nephilim outbreak. And the main reason for the flood is to destroy the Nephilim. That, why do you think it's put in Genesis 6? Because what happens right after the Nephilim. It's the flood. And in this, then it will say that Moses was pure in his generations. Or not Moses, sorry, Noah. It is a reference to him and his family being pure in their genes. Because mo the majority of humanity has genetic defects because of the Nephilim outbreak. Now, we don't know how long this outbreak lasted. It could have happened hundreds and hundreds of years, apparently. But it went on for a long time. So that was the first attack on women, and he tried to wipe them out. So the rescue mission with Noah and his three boys and their wives is a rescue mission to maintain the genetic line of humanity for the Messiah, because Messiah will be human. Not only God, but he has to be 100% human. Now, the interesting thing about this is you have to have two witnesses. If I'm going to make a statement, or there's going to be a teaching in the Bible, it will always have two witnesses attached to it. The witnesses for this event and, and the, the Nephilim issue is witnessed by Second Peter and Jude. Those are your two witnesses. And interesting enough with Second Peter, uh, you know what, I'm sorry, it's First Peter, sorry about that. First Peter chapter 3. For Christ who also suffered once for sin, for the just, for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, talking about the cross, verse 19, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. The, the, the word spirits uh, in prison, the prison in there is Tartarus. It's the deepest part of hell where these particular spirits, the spirit is not for spirits of men, it, it's a uh, uh, demonic spirit. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited, what? In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, with Peter mentioning that, he's another attestation to something went wrong in Genesis 
And he says these spirits were in the, because of what they did, were put in the lowest parts of hell or Tartarus and they're bound there. And Jesus, during the three days he was buried, his soul went into that area and proclaimed victory to them. Now why is Peter making that statement? Why is he throwing that in there? Well, the reason is, why would Jesus go and proclaim to these spirits who were disobedient in what days? The days of Noah and, and the Nephilim happened. Why would he go in there and proclaim victory to them, specifically? It is basically to proclaim, you guys try to prevent my coming. The fact that I am in paradise and in Sheol is proof that you have failed. God has made certain that the Messiah, I am he, the Messiah, was born. You tried to corrupt the human, the human line of me, and the fact that I am here proves that God sustained the human line. And you have failed. Your doom has come. That's what the prophetic utterance is with that. Then you, you, the second witness is Jude. And he writes this. But I want to remind you, this is Jude verse 5, but I want to remind you, though once you knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And then he gives another example, verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So they're bound when it, because of what they did. Now, what they did is he's going to relate it to Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 7, as, that term as is a relatable term. As what Sodom and Gomorrah did, so did these angels do. And the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So he, Jude is making this point about these angels that went after strange flesh. Now, the strange flesh in Sodom and Gomorrah was man upon man, sodomy. That was the strange flesh. But he's relating what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah with the angels who left their abode, who left where they're supposed to be, came down to women and did this in Genesis 6, and now they're in chains, but they also went after strange flesh. So you have obviously two attestations from the New Testament with Peter and Jude, both saying Genesis 6 is a real deal. It went down. And because of that, these angels are bound in Tartarus for the great day of judgment. Okay, so that being the case, to understand Genesis 6, you have to understand the supernatural. This was the view of the early church. This was the view of Judaism. And it only stopped when liberalism got into the church in the 4th century. When they, the Augustine and, and, and a lot of these uh, liberal philosophers got into the church they were embarrassed of what Genesis 6 had to say. So what did they do? They came up with what's called the Sethite view. Well, this is just human beings, and they're not really angels mixing and cohabitating with women. But that was not the original view of the early church. It's not the original view of Judaism either. But it is now. That's what the teaching is. And so all that to say then, it will happen again. It's going to happen to one lady, a Roman lady, and Satan will impregnate her. And he will produce the seed of Satan. 
It doesn't mean the lady's going to be virgin. It just means, by supernatural means, she'll become pregnant by Satan. And then her birth will not only be human, but also satanic in nature as well. Truly, he will try to counterfeit the virgin birth. This is what this is. It is the counterfeit of the virgin birth. The, the, the scriptures also maintain that the Antichrist counterfeits the death and resurrection of Messiah as well. It's by deduction, Kenny. Because when you say the seed of, the, of, of Satan, you have to say, then how does that produce? How does Satan produce a seed? Because the, the term is sexual. It's a, a, I mean, to get graphic, only men can cast seeds or sperm, not a woman. So it's a sexual reference that Messiah will be produced by non-sexual relationship because he will be the seed of a woman. And so the Holy Spirit created a miracle in Mary where she didn't need a seed of a man. It was a miraculous birth, right? So therefore, the same thing is it's parallelism with that. If we believe that for Messiah, and that's the theology about the seed of Messiah, then you have to put the same connotations on the phrase above it and use it for the seed of Satan. You can't, to be, to be consistent, you can't say Jesus is made one way, or the humanity of Jesus is created one way, and then Satan's man will be created another way. It, it's referring to the sexual act. Now, we obviously know Satan does not have the power to create life like God does. But if we use the precedent of Genesis 6, and then marry that with Genesis 3, and then you marry that with the two attestations of, of what happened in Genesis 6. And then also, I'm going to use Revelation just a bit. You put them all together, and yes, you don't have a scripture that says, he will impregnate a woman, but you put it together, and by deduction, this is the conclusion you can only reach. Now, you, you can disagree with that conclusion, but that's how you make some deductions about uh, certain theology, is you have to put scriptures together to give you a fuller picture of it. The interesting thing about this, if you um, turns well, if if I read uh, uh, Revelation 17, let me read this real quick for you guys. The beast, this is Revelation 17, verse 11. The beast that was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is of the seven is going to perdition. More with him. And hold on. Oh, here we go. Let me back up, Kenny. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. The beast is referring to the Antichrist. So the beast that you was, that was and is not that died. Okay, but then it says he ascends out of the bottomless pit to go to perdition. No human being, when they go to hell, ever go to the bottomless pit. The pit, the bottomless pit, is only reserved for demons. So there's another clue about his origins. Because if he was fully human, I would expect him to go to Hades. That's where human, that's where unregenerate humans go. They go to Hades. But the scriptures are saying he comes from the bottomless pit after his resurrection. He comes back to life. Well, remember the demons that always, when they would deal with the Lord, don't cast us to the pit. Remember, that's all what they ever say. 
because that's where demons are confined temporarily. And so when he dies, he doesn't go to Hades, he goes to the pit. And then he ascends out of the pit. So I put Revelation 17 there. I put all these passages together, and before you know it, you're seeing a picture that, uh-oh, he's not fully human. There's something different about him. And so again, it's it's it, the statement about this is made from deduction, guys, deduction. And a lot of the a lot of the uh, theology that you'll you'll study comes from deduction of putting scriptures together. To add to this, if you turn to page two thirteen, the other passage we want to look at. To add to this is Second Thessalonians two nine, talking about the Antichrist, and Paul mentions this that even he whose coming is according, this is the kind of in the middle bottom of the passage or the page, even he whose coming is according to the energio. It's that word working of Satan, it's energio, the power and energy of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So the term that when he comes, his coming, how does the Antichrist come? Through the power of Satan. Again, is another deduction from this passage that Satan creates the Antichrist through his power that Paul is mentioning. Does Satan have power? Yeah, all you have to do is read Job. Look what Job, Satan, Satan was actually able to control weather. He's a very powerful angel. In fact, let's put it this way. He is the most powerful angel that God ever created. He was the covering cherub. And because of that, he was the head of the angels who had the most power. And because of that, he rebelled because of his own pride and whatnot. But he is the most powerful angel. And he has those abilities to do things. He inflicted Job with disease. Now, wait a second. Hold on. Can demons and, and, and the devil inflict diseases on people? You better believe it. They do. In fact, it happened in the Gospels. That a woman, I think it was, if I recall, in our life of the Messiah, a woman who had a bleeding problem had it because a demon had done it to her. She had blood for how many years? What was it? Was it 12 years or something like that? And it states, Jesus states it, that a demon had did that to her. So yes, the demonic and Satan himself can inflict physical harm on people. That's not from the movies. That's True, they can do that. Satan controlled weather patterns. He killed people. So guess guess what? One of the benefits of the cross that you might have overlooked is, yes, your sins were forgiven, you've been cleansed, but one of the benefits of the cross was that he disarmed Satan of the power of death over us. Satan can't kill us. According to Hebrews chapter 2. You are completely immune from Satan trying to kill you. He cannot kill you. Now, that's a new blessing. If you're in Messiah, that's a new blessing that you have received. But can he kill an unbeliever? Yes. Does he? Yes. That's what's really scary about being an unbeliever. You're in his territory. And if he kills you, he can kill you. God permits it, absolutely. But Satan would say he had the right to do it uh, with God's permission if he does kill somebody. But with a believer, he cannot touch a believer. 
That doesn't mean he can't, he, God can't use him to discipline somebody. But the power of death, according to Hebrews chapter 2, has been just, just removed from him, and he cannot do that anymore. So that's another little aspect of your benefit of salvation being in the new covenant. Okay, so anyway, um, he, he creates this monstrosity, and, and so therefore, the point about it that we're seeing is the Antichrist is half human and half demonic. He is a Nephilim. So when Joshua got into the land of Canaan, and they sent the twelve spies, what did Joshua say? There are Anakim in the land. There are giants in the land. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can take them. But the other ones were saying, we're like grasshoppers to them. And yes, they were physically like grasshoppers. Because a, a Nephilim, obviously what was happening in the land of, uh, of, of the promised land, was there was an outbreak while Israel was in Egypt, in Goshen, all those 400-something years, Satan caused an outbreak of Nephilim in the Promised Land because he knew they would come back. So Satan was gearing up for 400-something years. Satan geared up the whole land and put Nephilim in the land. So when they come back, they have to deal with Nephilim. And so the idea then, the average Israeli is 5'5 five five at that point in time, and these Nephilim are like the size of Goliath. Now, I told you when we went and studied David, when David is fighting Goliath, Goliath is a Nephilim. He had relatives that were Nephilim. And the fact that, that that's, that makes the story of David and Goliath even that more incredible. He fought a Nephilim for goodness sake. And so Joshua, remember Joshua would be told, and people will have a hard time understanding this, I want you to go in there, Joshua, and wipe all of them out. I don't want any creature left. I want a harem on them. Because some of the people that Joshua was told to go after were not fully human. And they needed to be wiped out. Including the animals, which tells you there was something wrong with the genetic code of the animals as well. I don't want any animal left either. Wipe them all out. Women, children, everybody. And people have a hard time stomaching that. But the issue is if you know they're not fully human, then God had to do something with them. Because that was a hybrid that was created by the Nephilim, by, or sorry, Satan. That's a lot to ingest, so I'll stop there and see if you have any questions. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons, and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.